How many of you guys have ever gotten in trouble at your house? If you have, raise your hand. I've gotten in trouble. What are your what are some of the rules at your house that you're not supposed to do? What are some of those rules? What aren't are you not supposed to do at your house? Huh? Not spitting in the house. That's a good thing to not do. What happens if you spit in the house? You get in trouble? Uh-uh. Okay. Yes, ma'am. You forgot? Okay. Victoria? I'm sorry? Blow bubbles on the carpet. Do you get in trouble if you do that? Ah. Well, yes. What's... Jump on the couch. What, Eleanor? Jump, jump on the couch and do what? And spin. Ah, and spin. And one more, Victoria. Walk on top of the couch. Walk on top of the couch. Well, you know what? When I was a kid, we were not allowed to get cookies out of my mom's cookie jar. She had this big cookie jar that looked like a pig that was wearing an apron. And the head would come off the cookie jar and then you could reach down inside the belly of the pig and get cookies. And I learned how to take the head off the cookie jar without noise and then reach in and get a cookie and then put the head back without any noise and then go hide in a closet and eat the cookie. But you know what? If I got found out, oh my goodness, I got in so much trouble. Because see, moms and dads tell us, this is the rules of our house. You're not allowed to do this. I want you to do this. And if you don't do what you're expected to do, there are going to be consequences. Sometimes you get in trouble. Sometimes you have a timeout. Sometimes you might get a spanking. Sometimes you might have to have your mouth washed out because you said a bad word. Lots of different things. I can remember when I was a little boy, I said a really bad word. I won't tell you what the bad word was. But my mom said, your mouth is dirty. I said, okay. She said, come in the bathroom. We have to wash it. And she got a washcloth. And she took ivory soap. And she wet the washcloth. And she lathered up that washcloth. And she said, stick out your tongue. It's dirty. And she washed my tongue with ivory soap. Ah, that was bad. But I learned not to say bad words. See, sometimes you have to have consequences if you do bad things or if you do what you're not supposed to do. And it's not fair if you get in trouble for doing something you didn't know you were not supposed to do, right? I mean, if your mom says, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar, but she didn't tell you. And then you eat a cookie that was in the cookie jar. She says, I told you not to eat the cookies in the cookie jar. And you go, you never told me that. You get in your room right now. You're going to get in trouble. But you never told me that's not fair. Right? That wouldn't be fair. 
Well, God has told us some things about how God wants us to live in this world. There's some things up on the screen. Can you bring them up for me? There are things that we call the Ten Commandments. For some of you that read, this, these are the ten things that God said every single human he doesn't want us to do. He doesn't want us to have any other gods, only him. He, we're not allowed to worship any other god. Also, we're not supposed to worship statues or trees or, or anything. We are only supposed to worship God. We are never, ever supposed to say God's name except when we're praying him or praising him. We should never go, God, or, oh my God. That's taking God's name in vain, and that is not what God wants for us to do. The Sabbath day, that's the holy day. That's the day we take a day for rest. Some people take a day on Sunday for rest. But see, I'm a pastor, and I have to work on Sunday. So this isn't a day of rest for me. But I do take a day for rest because God, in his word, said we're supposed to take one day every week for rest. Mom and dad, it says we're supposed to honor our mom and dad. We're not supposed to kill anybody. We're not supposed to have somebody else's spouse. We're supposed to not steal. We are not supposed to tell lies. And we're not supposed to covet. Do you know what coveting is? Have you ever heard that word before? Coveting is going, it's not fair. You got three cookies and I don't have any. I want your cookies. That's coveting. And we're not supposed to covet anything. We're not supposed to covet anything at all. We should be happy that God has blessed somebody else. And trust that God will give us what we need and never covet what other people have. Those are the 10 commandments. Those are the 10 things that God, hold, put your hand down because I, I have a lot to say this morning. I don't have time for questions yet. We are supposed to do what God wants us to do. And if we don't do it, then we have a problem. Because remember last week when I said the black jelly beans represent sin and sin causes death? And sin causes separation from God. And you can't have a relationship with God because of sin. If you do one of these 10 things that you're not supposed to do, that's a sin. And you know what the Bible says about sin? Bring up the next slide, please. It's found in James chapter 2, verse 10. And I want to read it to you real quick. James chapter t- uh, 2, verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has been guilty of breaking all of the law. In other words, I could be really good about not worshiping another God or worshiping statues or keeping the day holy or not taking God's name in vain. But if I say to my mom and dad, I don't like you, I'm not going to listen to what you say. That means I just broke one of the Ten Commandments. And that means in God's eyes, I'm guilty of breaking all of them. And guess what happens? I have broken my relationship with God because I brought a black jelly bean into my life. That's what breaking the Ten Commandments does. It's sin. But Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, and I want to read that one to you too. Acts chapter 3, 19 says, repent and turn back from that your sins can be made clean. See, one of the things that we have to do to ask God to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from our sins is we have to repent. Do you know what repent means? Have you ever heard that word before? This is what repent means. Lake, and I need you to come up here. What I want you to do is that I want you to walk, start walking towards Miss Elsie. And when I say repent, I want you to turn around and walk towards me. Okay? 
Repent. Okay, start walking towards Miss Elsie again. Repent. One more time. Walk towards Miss Elsie. Repent. Okay, you can sit down. Thank you, Lakin. Repent means to turn around and run away from the sin. That's what it means. Turn around 100, 180 degrees. So you're going, ooh, sin, that looks really nice. Oh, I'm supposed to repent. And turn back towards God. And if you don't, and you do the sin, you get a black jelly bean, which means you've broken your relationship with God because it says in James, if you sin one sin, it's as if you've broken all of the Ten Commandments. So I want to, I want you to remember when you start feeling tempted to sin, or if you actually do sin, repent, turn around and get away from that and ask God to forgive you. Let's pray. God, this is a hard term for even adults to understand. I pray that you would help these young people to come to understand what it means to repent when they've done something wrong so that they can be in right relationship with you for their entire lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you guys can go, ahead, go on with your teacher. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. I am the eldest of seven kids. And my dad used to have to work three jobs in order to put food on the table and shoes on our feet, clothes on our back. Literally, he wasn't around most of the time because when he'd get off of work, he'd just go on to the next job. He'd get off of work and go on to the next job. And there were some times that he, he was, my dad was uh, in the Navy. He was a medic. So that meant he qualified as like a certified nursing assistant, a CNA or a, a, a medical technician in a hospital. And so he would literally work overnight at the hospital, get off, change into his uniform and go back to the base and do his job during the day. Because it was the only way that they could afford to pay for all of us. Well, being the selfish little boy that I was, I used to fuss and complain because I didn't get the things I wanted. I used to be mean-spirited and angry and fussed. And at one point, in exasperation, my dad, not trying to be mean to me, but he looked at me and said, okay, so which one of your brothers and sisters should we not have had? You decide. And I realized that I was complaining and whining and fussing. But my dad loved every single one of us unconditionally. And he couldn't imagine life without us. And yeah, it was hard. And yeah, it would have been easier had one or two of us not been born. But which one? You choose. Gave me a, a, a stark awakening. A stark awakening. Well, I want to talk to you about what the Bible, about a, a Bible verse that says it would have been better if that person had never been born. That's a hard Bible verse. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Gospels. Before we get there, though, you need to understand something. Your pastor is very gifted. I'm very talented. I get A's on my papers. I get A's in my classes. I had a solid, almost 3.78, something or other, 
while I was in Bible college. And one time while I was in Bible college, I had to do what's called an exegesis, which is a taking a Bible passage and then doing all the study on it and then writing a, a 15 page paper, whatever the amount was, and explain what the Bible ver- passage was about. And I got my paper back. It was an A plus. I was so good. And the professor wrote in his notes, you taught me something. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And this is what I taught the professor. Bring up the first slide or the next slide, please. Turn with me to John chapter thir- three? 13. Sorry, that's a typo. John chapter 13, verse 18. Uh, Jesus, in John chapter 13, this is the, the last supper, okay? Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples, and they are now gathered around the table in John chapter 13. And Jesus says to his disciples, um, truly, truly, this is verse, um, verse 16. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you now, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And this was the passage that I had to do that paper on. And it was verse 18 that I taught the professor something. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, this verse is Jesus quoting Psalm 41 verse 9. You don't have to turn there, uh, but this is what it said. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. What in the world does that mean? You guys have a clue? Let me teach you something. This is so cool. I'm so good. I was in the military. While I was in the military, when we would go to an overseas area, we would get briefings on how to uh, live in that new environment because their culture was different from our American culture. They had things in their world that we didn't have. And so we had to learn how to live there without causing offense. Okay. So when I lived in the Philippines, I learned you never do this to anybody. You do this. Because this is calling a dog to somebody, to you. So if you say, come here, which is common in our world, that's great offense to the Filipino people or even most Asian people. It's this. You cut. So you'll see Filipinos do this and you're like, what in the world are you doing? That's their culture. Come, 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 come. If you did this, that's offensive. In England, when I was in England, This is the number two. This is also victory. This is the middle finger. Okay? So I'm at church. Good Christian men at church. 
And after church, we always went downstairs for milk and cookies. Literally. I mean, they would have little drinks and, and cookies and napkin and that kind of stuff. Well, we lived an hour and a half drive away from church. I mean, literally it took us an hour and a half to get to church. We were that good as Nazarenes. Every Sunday morning, we would drive an hour and a half to get to church. We would then stay for church and then we would leave and go home an hour and a half. And so we would stay and visit with the family of the church afterwards in the basement at the little cookie time because that was the really only fellowship we ever got with our brothers and sisters from that church. Well, I had three daughters, my wife and myself, and we're all running around in this fellowship hall with about 40 or 50 people. And then Renee said, I'm going to take the girls up to the car and come when you can because I was busy talking with an elderly woman in the congregation. And so Renee left. And so then I said to the woman, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to go. My wife and kids are already up in the car and we've got a long drive home. So I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. And then I got up to the car and Renee said, where's Mandy and Kelly? What do you mean, where's Mandy and Kelly? You've got them. No, I have Robin. I told you to get Mandy and Kelly. Okay, I'll be right back. So I run back down into the basement of the church. And lo and behold, the, the elderly woman is still standing right in the same spot where she was when I left. And she said, Bob, I thought you were leaving. I said, no, two of my girls are still here. And she went... Instantly, I knew what I had done. Instantly, I knew because I had been briefed. And I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. She said, I didn't think you were that sort. I greatly offended her because of my action. Because my culture is different from her culture. Well, what I taught my professor in this Bible college verse, in the military, when you're going over to the Middle East, you were taught never cross your legs in public. Why? You are never to show the bottom of your foot to anyone. Why? Because your foot is the dirtiest part of your body. Because it is always in touch with the bottom of the world. It is always in touch with where dog crap is. It's always in touch with germs and dirt is. And you would never ever be offensive to another human being by showing them the sole of your foot. Do you remember a number of years ago when President George W. Bush was at a a news briefing in the Middle East and the reporter took off his shoe and threw it at him and then took off his other shoe and threw it at him? That was one of the greatest offenses that culture could have expressed to a world leader. Why? Because you never show the sole of your foot ever. Now go back to Psalm Psalm 41, verse 9. The one who I trusted, the one who has shared a meal with me and sat at my very table, has shown me his heel. Does that make sense now? You see, that culture, if you do the study, it's the Orient. Okay, we are the Occidentals. We are the Westerners. The Orientals, those who live anywhere in the eastern part of the of the world. Well, I'm talking Japan. I'm talking China. I'm talking Philippines. I'm talking um, Indonesia. I'm talking all the way to the Middle East. All of those people. It is their culture to never ever show the sole of so show the sole of your foot to somebody. That's one of the reasons why most of those cultures require you to take their shoe your shoes off at their front door. Because you would never bring all of that dirt and filth into their home. And while you're in your home, you would, their home, you would never cross your legs because then that exposes the bottom of your foot to them. It's in our culture. We cross our legs all the time in public. So that's what this was talking about. There was somebody at that table, Jesus said, who I have trusted, who I am sharing my most intimate life with. I'm offering bread to. 
and you turn up your heel against me. Bring up the next slide, please. Mark chapter 14. Let me just read it to you. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as the twelve were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him after one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as <clears throat> excuse me, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, you know who I'm talking about. Jesus said of Judas Iscariot, woe to that man. It would have been better had he not been born. Look at Luke chapter 22. Bring up the next slide, please. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. I'll read it to us. This is Jesus has been arrested. He's been escorted by the police out of the, the, the temple police out of the, car, the garden of Gethsemane. Judas has come up and kissed Jesus, identifying him as the one that they were to arrest. Jesus has now been led off to the house of the high priest and Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, most people would say that to be John, have entered into the courtyard of the high priest. Verse 54 says, Then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among these people. And then a servant girl, seeing Peter as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And Peter said, And how did he know he's a Galilean? Because of his accent. He could tell by the accent that Peter was not from the Jerusalem area, but he's from Galilee. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Now, in other gospels, it says Peter literally began to call down curses upon himself to to demonstrate how much he was sincere that he was not with Jesus. And immediately, it says, verse 60, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now listen to verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter instantly remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Peter didn't, I mean, Jesus didn't say that it was Peter who it would have been better had he not been born. He was talking about the one who who would betray him. But doesn't James say, if you're guilty of breaking one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the entire law? So whose sin was worse? The kiss on the cheek? The calling down of curses to prove that he wasn't part of that group to save his own skin. 
Let's look at John, I mean, at Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 to 5. Now, 27, 3 to 5, I want to back up a little bit and go into Matthew chapter 26. So I'm going to go back to my Bible so I can actually, without having to skip around. Matthew chapter 26. This is the, the story of Matthew 26 is the whole point of the plot to kill Jesus. Jesus at Mary and Martha's house. I mean, Jesus at the Simon the leper's house. Then the betrayal of Jesus. Then the Passover itself. Then the institution of the Lord's Supper. Then Jesus foretelling Peter's denial. Then Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. And then Jesus before, the Cai- before Caiaphas and the council. And then Peter denying Jesus. And then it goes into Matthew chapter 27. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus and put him to, to put him to death. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And then Matthew 27 verses three to five says, when Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. What did he do? He did a 180 degree turn. Just like Lakin did. He repented. He repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver that he had received from the chief priests and the, uh, the elders to betray Christ. And he brought it back to them and he said, I have sinned. He confessed and he repented. I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. And the church said to him, what does that to do with us? See to yourself. Now, Peter denied Christ and stayed with his brothers and sisters in the upper room, locked in for fear of the Jews, but he was still in community with his brothers and sisters. Judas broke the law in the same way that Peter broke the law violated the relationship with Christ, with God, but was no longer in communion with the church that he had known. So he went back to the church of his youth, the ones who had joined him in this whole plot, and said, I repent, I confess, I have sinned, And they say, too bad, so sad for you, get lost. He has no place to go. He has no one to turn to. And in his remorse and in his despair, he kills himself. Go to the next slide, please. John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection. This is, who knows, we don't have the exact timeline, 
But Jesus is meeting with his disciples on a beach. They've been out fishing all night long. And they recognize that Jesus is on the shore. And Peter, who had been basically naked fishing, threw on his clothes and got into the water and swam to the shore to go see Jesus. And they brought the fish that they had caught. And then they had breakfast on the shore. And while they're finishing up with breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, let's take a walk. And this is what that walk was. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is verse 15 of chapter 21 of John. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus then the third time said to Peter or Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death, excuse me, Peter was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, follow me. Those were the very first words that Jesus said to Peter when he initiated the relationship. I mean, he said, go dump your nets on the other side. And then Peter came to him and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I don't need to have you in your life. And he said to you, follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me. <clears throat> and then three years of service. And in the last crucial minute, Peter fails. And Jesus takes him aside privately and says, I still find worth in you. Follow me. The assignment hasn't changed. I still need you. I still need your your talents and your gifts and your power and your strength. Join me in this walk. And Peter was restored. Turn to the next slide. Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 27. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What about Judas? Bring up the last slide. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine has been in front of you all morning long. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise. About as some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But Judas repented. It says so in the word of God. And he confessed his sin to the only church leader he had. He went to the house of God 
repenting of his sin and confessing his sin and asking for absolution. And he was turned away. You're guilty of breaking the law, therefore you have broken all of the law. You are no longer in right relationship with God. Go to hell. Now, I cannot take you any farther in the scriptures in this story. I can't. Because there are no more passages to turn to. So anything I say from this point forward is simply Bob. This is not thus says the Lord. Okay? This is Bob. In order for Jesus to die on the cross, someone had to turn him in. In order for Jesus to die on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, someone had to betray Christ. God knew from the beginning of time what was going to be happening. How does, this is where we're getting into the stuff that's not based in scripture. How does the loving, compassionate, faithful God Condemn someone before they even have an opportunity to repent. Now, hear me. I am not trying to say that anything that you have been taught is right or wrong. I'm just telling you these are the things that I have wrestled with. If you go to the Apostles' Creed, you will see that it says that Jesus was crucified, suffered, died, was buried, descended into hell. That's quiet Saturday. That's that's the, the day between the crucifixion. Where was Judas at this time? If you read through what we just read through, Matthew 26 and Matthew 27, Judas went to the high priests and the elders of the church after it was decided that he was being turned over to Pilate to be crucified. Jesus was still alive when Judas went to the temple. We don't know the exact timeline of when Judas committed suicide. Was Judas alive at the time of the crucifixion? Was Jesus already dead at the time of Christ's crucifixion? We're not given that information. But sometime Judas walked away in despair and and killed himself. And where did he go? To the place of the dead. Now, again, I cannot do anything and say from scripture, blah, 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 blah. I can't. But is it possible When you think about the compassion, the love of Jesus. In the same way that my father said to me, which one should not have been born? Is it possible with what we understand about the compassion, the love, the forgiveness, the desire for no one to perish? 
that Jesus met with Judas and embraced him. Now, I pray, I truly do, and I have prayed this for years, God, I would love the opportunity to be a neighbor to Judas in heaven. What an honor. But I don't know. I, I can tell you what the scripture says. He was called a betrayer for the rest of the time anybody referred to him. There wasn't a whole lot of love expressed by the disciples. Jesus himself said it would have been better had he not been born. Is Judas in heaven? I don't know. Is Judas in hell? I don't know. The one thing, though, that I can tell you with confidence, although it's not in the scriptures, is if Judas had not killed himself, I have every confidence that Jesus would have sought him out too to reconcile. I have every confidence that Jesus would have come to Judas in whatever dark closet he was hiding in and said, I love you and I forgive you and I welcome you. I don't know the end result. What I do know as a pastor, and now I'm going back into thus says the Lord. Every single human being has one opportunity to make a decision for God. And that's sometime before death. Once you're dead, it's done. You can't change it. If there was an exception, I think Judas would have been that exception. I can't say that that's from God. And so what I say to you is this. Know the person, the, the, the God that you're serving and the God that you're loving. Know who he is, how he relates to us. Know that he has a desperate, unconditional love for every single human being. That includes every single one of the headliners of today. I'm not going to get into anything political or anything cultural, but you know what I'm talking about. Every single name that's on the newspaper front page and every single name that's on the lips of the broadcasters on the TV represents a human being that has a soul that God desperately loves. And there is a chance for repentance on every single one of their parts before death. A chance for confession, a chance for repentance, an opportunity for them, no matter how heinous they have lived their lives, heinously they have lived their lives, they can turn around at the last second and still be received by the love of God, by the compassion of God, by the grace of God. It's the same grace that you received. There is no measure of sin, if you will. You're guilty of breaking one. You're guilty of breaking it all. And so what I encourage you, first of all, <laughs> make sure you're right. If there's a sin in your life, repent. There's still time if you're still breathing. Number two, if you know someone who has yet to repent, don't stop praying for them because literally, literally, until the last breath, they are given opportunity to repent and to confess their sin and to make it right with God. Now, let me take off the pastor and do the Bob thing again. 
And I think Judas did exactly that. I think he went to the only access he had to God and said, I repent and I confess and I need to be cleansed of my sin. The challenge was there was no one there to receive that. There was no one there to welcome that. So I don't have an answer for us today of what the end result was. But if I confess and repent of my sins, don't I get grace? That's how I see it. And again, I'll put the pastor thing back on again and say, let's pray. God, help us to communicate communicate your grace. And I pray, Father God, that those that I love and care about would indeed confess and repent that they could enter into vital relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.